what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson and with me is Chris Fry. We as combined forces are the directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival, which is only a few days away. Are you okay, Chris? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm going not. to try I'm... to get a little <laughs> bit of sleep between now and the start of the festival. We'll yeah. see whether or not I succeed. Yeah, we will definitely see. This year's festival being both an in-person and virtual festival. Um going to be interesting. It'll be fun. I think yeah. we're going to have a good time. We've got a lot of great films to share. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, kind of tease some more about the festival. But let's get into what we're actually here to record today, which is Foot Candle Films. This is our ongoing film review and discussion show. We share uh, reviews of new films that are out in the movie theaters or online for streaming. We also talk about some news items of some upcoming interesting projects that we're going to be watching or curious about. And then also we always end the show with a recommendation from each of us of a film we think might be worth checking out. My recommendation today, Chris, may, may our longtime listeners, and you know who you are, <laughs> uh, it may be a surprising pick today. I'll just say that. Not exactly what you would normally see in the Alan Jackson wheelhouse of film recommendations. Okay. So we'll see how, how that goes over. Yeah. Yeah. It should be fun. Just a little teaser there for that. Uh, but Chris, we do have two films we're going to be reviewing today in the show. First up, we'll be reviewing the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We'll be following that up with a film review of Nine Days, a uh, new independent film, uh, independent studio film from Sony Pictures Classics that we'll be discussing. Then uh, going on to our news and recommendations. So what do you say we go ahead and get started? Let's do it. All right. Going into our first review. It is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I gave you ten years to live your life. Now you see me rise. And where did that get you? You walked in my shadow. trained you so the most dangerous people in the world couldn't kill you son it's time for you to take your place by my side with shang chi and the legend of the ten rings a new hero has been introduced to the mcu He's been around in the comic books, but he was new to the MCU. Alan, when you've discussed your thoughts prior to the film's release, you mentioned a feeling of, 
as Shang-Chi goes, so will the fate of the MCU, seeming to indicate it could be a bellwether for the future of the MCU and the introduction of new characters, possibly hinting at the reception of the Eternals that's coming before 2021 wraps up. Now that you've seen this entry, do you think the MCU has stabilized after its post-Avengers endgame slight stumble with the Black Widow, or do you think they're still kind of floundering? Um, well, definitely, I'm, I'm not going to say floundering. And even with Black Widow, I mean, I don't think anything was really floundering with the Marvel Studios. It was concerning that Black Widow did not perform as well box office-wise, but we both liked the film. It was a good film. I think it was a fine entry in this whole Marvel series of movies. And I'll say Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings does not let down from that. I think it okay. it continues that same trajectory and uh, is, is a good entry into the entire universe. If you're kind of keeping track of all 25 plus movies that they've made, I think it's a good mid-level to slightly upper level film in the in the series um not without its concerns in general for me that it, it is a lot of similarity with all the other marvel movies which i'm i'm look i'm the world's biggest marvel <laughs> fan in general but sure. i'll be the first to admit that yes the formula and the format of these films and even some of the plot machinations are pretty similar film to film and the way they all tend to end also is very similar. This one doesn't fall far out of that trap. Unfortunately, okay. it has the potential to, this is a film of almost two halves. I love the first half of this movie where I felt like it was really unique. I mean, I think you incorporated a lot of the, well, we're getting away from the plot here, but the fighting style, the, the, the cinematography, the, 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 uh, the the personality of the film was really great in the first half. I felt like by the second half, we had basically just photocopied other Marvel movies and said, oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do for the last 30, 45 minutes of the movie. So let's just do that. And that's what they did. So it's good, disappointing for me to some degree. But overall, it's still a uh, a good, good Marvel movie. Um, I guess we should say a little bit about the plot. Just, you know, I mean, just sure. a little more, more about it. Uh, yeah, so Shang-Chi, as you kind of hinted at, I mean, a new entry into the Marvel Universe. Uh, he is someone that we learn early in the film is has a has a secret past that he hasn't isn't really opening up and sharing with with his best friend played by Aquafina. Um, until his father, who is someone of a crime lord in in uh, Asia, and kind of brings uh, comes back into the forefront and is trying to get Shang-Chi to kind of come back in and uh, be a part of his dynasty with him. And that's when the action kind of starts. So we have some uh, Kung Fu elements. We have some mystical elements. We have uh, a lot of action. We have the typical Marvel comedy with characters. So uh, overall, I thought it was good, but nothing earth shattering, which I was hoping for something a little different here. Chris, what's your thoughts on this film? I think we kind of fall more or less along the same lines. I mean, I, I, I was pleased because I was afraid. I'd seen two other martial arts films leading up to this just this year, um, both in the theater, actually, which is kind of rare, um, considering the pandemic. I'd seen Mortal Kombat, which was terrible. Um, and then I saw Snake Eyes, which was slightly better, 
But still, and both less of, terrible. Less terrible. Okay. And yeah. Snake Eyes was similar to this one. It was kind of building an origin story, mm-hmm. and it just it kind of fell into the trap of just being an action movie. But I mean, it was better than I thought it was going to be. So for this one, I was like, okay, how are you going to take a martial arts action film, slam it into the MCU, and make it make it work? And it's an origin story which has its own problems um, sometimes because it's there mm-hmm. again. It's kind of you know, obviously, you start at point A, and by the time you get to point B at the end of the film, you're a superhero. So mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, that's what this film is doing because it is an introduction. Um, but I will say, for me, I guess it helps that I knew nothing of this character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have told me that this character didn't actually exist and they made it up just for this movie. And I said, Oh, okay. I, I believe that, you know, so sure. um, that helped. So the whole origin part, I guess the first two thirds before they get to the final battle, um, you know, kind of the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the movie, that was all very interesting to me. I, what was made this film unique too, is that I don't think I'm really spoiling anything, but uh, Tony Leung, who plays um, Shang-Chi's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's well, go ahead and say that Shang-Chi is played by Simu Liu. So you've mm-hmm. got Simu Liu and then you've got Tony Leung, kind of father-son. Um, Tony Leung, I've seen him in other films, and he's just a really huge presence on screen. And I liked the fact that instead of – and normally, normally this is a problem for me. If you give somebody who's just kind of like seemingly kind of a normal bad guy – that a lot of times can be kind of boring to me. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's more or less kind of human, except he does sh- shoot rings. But, you know, more or less, he's human. And that, yeah. to me, kind of gets boring. I like my bad guys to be kind of fantastical or be really domineering. That was kind of my problem with Black Widow, actually, mm-hmm. flashing back to that film. The main bad guy, not the little killer one that ran around, but the main guy, bad guy played by Ray Winstone was just a dude. <laughs> and yeah. so that kind of made me bored. Whereas with this film, I really liked the power dynamic between father and son and him trying to bring him into the Ten Rings organization, which I guess is like a shadow ninja mm-hmm. assassination type group. Um, so I thought I thought all that was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see what you're saying about the formula of Marvel movies. Um, and especially well, the last, I guess yeah. for all superhero movies, cause DC it movies is. fall into this too. No, it is. And it's not exclusive to Marvel, but Marvel's kind of perfected it to a science. I feel like in a way. Well, and they've had way more movies than DC at this That's point. That's true. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's basically let's, let's go overboard on the CGI action. Let's make it just a big spectacle for the last 30 minutes of the film. Some a little incoherent at times, a little tough to follow. And more than anything for the ending of these films, it's just tough for me to really relate. I feel like I'm still watching the characters. I feel like I'm just watching animations on screen, hmm. uh, animated representation of these characters. Wait, and I you just, mean the dragons aren't real? <laughs> no, I'm afraid the dragons are not real. Um, and I love dragons. That's my thing. I love dragons. Okay. And when I got excited when I saw there were dragons in this movie. But then it just turned into this just big overblown kind of spectacle for the last 20, 30 minutes. And it's just, it's not, it's just getting old, I Mm. guess is the thing for me, but I loved everything up to that point. I mean, there was even a couple points I'm watching this um, film with my youngest son where we even looked at each other like, Oh, that was really good. Mm. Oh, that was great. You know? So we were really into it. And then it just kind of like the air just kind of let let all the tires when you get towards the end, because I think we're just kind of numb to that now. It's just, it felt like there just wasn't, it's hard to feel like there's any real stakes 
when you feel like everything is just CGI animated all over the screen and it's hard to really feel like there's any real thing to worry about or, or care about with the character. So that's my big disappointment with the film. Uh, if you had asked me to review it before the last 30 minutes, I'd be like, yeah, this is, mm-hmm. this is great. This is a really, really good Marvel movie. And afterwards I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty fairly a slightly above average Marvel movie for me. So um, what are your thoughts on some of the performances in the film? I really like Simi Liu. I, I think he's great. And he's not someone I was familiar with. I know he's only me been, neither. I think uh, Kim's Convenience is a TV show he's been on and a couple other smaller roles, but he's really good. He's a, he's an action star. He's got great charisma. I, I just, he he's likable. He, he feels human. You know, he's just a, a really great character. Um, and I also echo with Tony Leung. I thought Tony Leung's great. I just think he's just such a great presence on screen, and he knows how to play this this character. And uh, it was good. So then we have the question: Aquafina. Aquafina. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind her. Okay. I thought she was fun. <laughs> okay. Um, I was worried about her going in because I've not been the biggest fan of her uh, uh, work in, in film up to this point. I mean, I know we talked about her in the film, um, the farewell, the farewell. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was good in that. I thought she was really good in that. Um, but her comedy, I was, I think the trailer kind of scared me a little bit that it was all going to be one liners and granted for most of the movie. Yeah. She is there for comic relief, right? But she gets some nice moments late in the film. And that is the one part of the ending of the film that I really did like. And I wish they'd done a little bit more with was kind of her, uh, taking on a, a little a little higher role and kind of sure. what that meant for her. And I, I, I like that. So, no, I thought she was good. I uh, I, I liked her. Yeah, I, I thought she was good too. And like you, I was concerned. Um, I did like her in Farewell, but that was more dramatic. But things like Crazy Rich Asians or the animated Raya in The Last Dragon where she just played the voice of an animated dragon, it was too much yeah. Aquafina for me. Um too too jokey, but that was her role in those films. But in this one, yeah, she does provide comic relief, but she there was enough drama built in with her. And I think I've heard, you know, chatter online that a lot of people were surprised that she was in this film as much as she was. Um, and I guess in a way, because she's not the lead character, she is kind of a sidekick, it was surprising to see her on screen as much. You mentioned how in the third act, she does have kind of a, a role. Of Her role, role steps play. up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think now, having seen the film, if I think about it, she is a pretty big name going yeah. into this film. Sure. People know who she is. So I guess it's not surprising. And it, I thought I thought it worked. Well, here's so. what I really liked about her and Simi Liu as, as Shang-Chi. Um, they're best friends. Yes. Thank and you for bringing that. I actually had that in my notes. there was no romantic involvement whatsoever which was so nice to see and, and it was just great and i really believed it i felt like yeah these two are totally like just yeah childhood best, best friends yeah. but they are friends they yeah. don't have to push and a romantic any moment where you felt like up oh, here's where they're going to try to dip into <laughs> romance they didn't and right. i'm like great thank you for showing us it's okay to have two leads in a film, a male, female that don't have to shack up, you know, <laughs> I'm in, and there's even one moment where she kind of lays her head on his shoulder, like towards the end. And it's like, yes, that could have been your moment to just say, Oh, now they're, let's have the romantic sparks go. No, it's just, they're just good friends and they just enjoy each other's company and, and they, they rely on each other. And it was great. So to see that. So I, I thought that was nice. Um, I'll mention um, something else that I really appreciate. And this was early in the film. 
Um, and that, you know, okay, so well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say what I really appreciated about it too um, before I make a second point just occurred. The bus fight. Yeah. I really yeah. liked a fight sequence that was done on the bus because it reminded me of something like uh, Infernal Affairs or so one of these other movies that's just like it's an action movie that uses karate or kung fu mm. or jujitsu. I'm terrible with all the different terms, but basically doesn't use guns or yep. car chases. Right. It's just this, but it's confined and they're like running up the sides of the bus, the insides of the bus and grabbing onto handles. And I really thought that was unique yep. and not something I'm used to seeing. And I think it also credits you to, you have the care, you have Shang-Chi's character kind of like, what is happening here? What is yep. going, like he's, and he's, you, his charisma kind of really helps mm -hmm. that, fight move along and he's kind of like in disbelief that he's having to do this and aquafina there too she is kind of like what is happening and just their reaction well, we to it even as the work. audience i mean you know the scenes leading up to this are just him the two of them working at their job as valets <laughs> and then they're right. going to visit you know uh, uh, picking each other up you know at their parents house and going and just hanging out or going to work and it's like and then all of a sudden this fight breaks out and we're as an audience just like, okay, what is going on? We don't know what's going on either. And right. that's what made it kind of fun as we were along for the ride with those characters. Um, so no, I agree. I think the fight scene on the bus was excellent. Um, I think something I wasn't expecting um, was that his revelation of, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Shang-Chi. And that happens within the first like, 10 or 15 minutes, he kind of has to tell like Aquafina. Yeah. Well, after character. the bus thing, it was like, yeah, he he's like, has okay, yeah, it. this is happening. And they don't spend like a whole first yeah. half of the movie or even a third. It happens pretty quickly. And I thought that was refreshing mm -hmm. as, as opposed to like building up to that. No, they hop a plane and they're over there, like, you know, finding out what the deal is pretty quickly. And I appreciated yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of build up in that respect. Yeah. Also, martial arts sequences that happened after that. Um, where were very simple and kind of toned down stylistic that recalled like wuxia films mm -hmm. where he would be having these training things when he was younger flashbacks to those or when he was late in the film when he was being I guess trained again by his aunt Ying Nan played by Michelle Yeoh mm -hmm. and she was kind of teaching him this way of kind of focusing I yeah. guess mm -hmm. um, I thought those were really interesting yeah. but they weren't so stylistically um stagnant that they wouldn't interest i feel like modern audiences mm -hmm. they weren't trying to be so reverent to like the wuxia films or like the typical style well, is a very let's let's tailor this and make it as mainstream as we can to make it palatable to a larger audience yeah and, it, and i think it worked it yeah I, I thought so yeah it was good um so yeah i i, I again two-thirds of this movie i'm i'm on board i'm i'm digging it and it's just i i just wish the ending was was more unique. I try to think back to all the Marvel movies and the way they end. Mm -hmm. Big fight scenes, big, big uh, spectacle scenes. And you know, it it's it's kind of half and half. The half of them half of the films I think have found more unique ways or more in nicer ways to end the films or have have it the conclusion. And then the other half kind of fall in the same trap. And I mean you're right, the DC movies are the same way. Any superhero movie kind of falls in this trap. Um I just wish with this one, since we had different type of power set and different type of uh, characters and different type of, uh, you know, geography, location, it was just a perfect opportunity. To, let's do something a little different for our big finale scene. And instead, they didn't. And it was <laughs> just all over the place and big and, um, yeah, and not as exciting for me. So 
I'll I'll kind of transition to two of my two of my negatives because overall I'm pretty yeah. positive on the film. I think the as you've mentioned, kind of the ending, the CGI, you know, final boss battle thing mm-hmm. <laughs> was kind of it did kind of lose a little bit for me there. But um, so the tough issue of fan service. Mm-hmm. And what some people refer to as franchise care, referencing back to other movies, referencing back to, okay, there are two instances of it in this film. One mm-hmm. is the appearance of uh, Wong from Doctor Strange. Yeah, that I was okay with yeah. um, because it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of it. So you know that I was like, okay, that's cool. They're referencing things, fine. Um, then there was another one that I started off being cool with, and I don't want to ruin stuff for people who haven't seen this film. But I'll just say uh, Ben Kingsley appears as a caretaker to a faceless pillow pet. Um, <laughs> but Ben Kingsley's character, basically, Ben Kingsley's in this film, and he references another film in the canon of right. the MCU. I'm not quite sure how that's not a spoiler, but you know, it, you're saying the spoiler side of it, being that's fine. Well, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's out there, it's right? But I mean, it's it's out there. Yeah. Um, but that was fine at first, and I actually thought it was pretty inventive of mm-hmm. how they with how they used Ben Kingsley in the film but then I felt like he that should have kind of faded into the background yeah. and instead it was more screen time than I thought it should they have had they had to bring him in to some degree because he technically was supposed to yeah the, the <laughs> way this ties in with if you recall Iron Man 3 the villain was supposed to be a guy named the Mandarin who's supposed to have control of the 10 rings. Turned out that was kind of a myth set up with Ben Kingsley characters playing the Mandarin, but it was just a stage actor just playing it. So, and even Ken Leone kind of, or Tony Leone kind of talks about that at one point. He's like, yeah, you Americans have called me all these different names. And even like an orange, you've called me the Mandarin. Yeah. You're kind of joking <laughs> right. about it. And it turns out, yeah, he's the real deal. Right. Um, so you kind of had to bridge that a little bit. Yeah. I didn't mind it. I mean, I, I, I thought he was fine. I, I, I didn't think he was overdone in it. Um, yeah, I was fine. And you had that, it is fan service. It is tying it in with a little bit with the, the larger saga. I think Which overall I- the film did a good job of not going too deep into feeling like it had to be all, Let's bring in a whole bunch of other superheroes for cameos and let's do True. all this. It was fairly self-contained as it is. I mean, with, like you said, uh, Wong being the only one who really was kind of there to kind of tie some things in. A right. Bit, so yeah. now, I, I appreciated the idea of Ben Kingsley being there and like the reasons he was there and t- I, I liked it, but then mm-hmm. I just thought he kind of overstayed, overstayed his screen his time. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and this is, this is stupid, but, um, it's a mindless, stupid quibble with the film, but I thought the masked fighter, um, Death Dealer is his mm-hmm. his character's name, played by Andy Lee, that trained Shang-Chi as a young boy and then seemed to be high up in the Ten Rings organization, was far more interesting than who I like to call Knife Hand Beefcake or the film calls Razor Fist. Um, I thought Death Dealer was much more like interesting and enigmatic because you never really see his face. You see it's either a mask or makeup, but it's it's this very interesting character. And you can tell this person's like a really good fighter or whatever. 
the way uh, I thought Death Dealer deserved better than the hand he was dealt in the mm. movie's finale. Sorry yeah. for the pun there. I, but I would have liked to have seen more of him because he was a cool looking character and a, a little interesting and unique mystery there. But you got to have Razor Fist as kind of the balance. Razor Fist is kind of the brute. <laughs> He's the big brute guy that you got to have. And then Death Dealers, you're more mysterious, you know. It kind of gave me a feeling of one. a little bit, um, not to this extreme, but um, Darth Maul yeah. and Phantom oh, Menace. Yeah. And you're like, Absolutely. such a cool character. And you're like, oh, and sorry, sorry, spoilers. And he's gone. And he's gone. <laughs> you know? So for this one, it was kind of like, you know, you see Death Dealer. He pops back up when they challenge Shang-Chi and the dad's there and they have all this stuff. And you can tell. He's like, yeah, he's, he's a badass. And then – Poof. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised by that, but yeah. Um, so overall, I mean, I think, I think we're both kind of agreeing. The movie's good. We True. like it. Um, it I wasn't, say, it wasn't the stumble that I thought it might've been. We so. do have to kind of mention, I think it's important to mention the fact that, you know, the director of the film, oh, yeah. uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, um, again, Marvel picking these directors that never have done an action movie of this caliber <laughs> before and throwing them into this. This is the guy known for Short Term 12, a which film I love. Great film. Yeah. Great film. He did Just Mercy, which was with uh, Michael Michael uh, Michael Jordan. Michael uh, B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. And The Glass Castle, one he did also with Brie Larson um, a few years ago. So, I mean, these are these are not big, big, heavy CGI blockbuster <laughs> films. No. And, but they keep picking these directors, and they seem to gel in pretty well. Again, I think he was able to add some personality to the film and add some – human elements to the characters that makes us uh, like them and, and connect with them a little bit more. Cause that definitely was the case for short term 12. I felt like I just loved the ways he portrayed the characters in that film. Sure. So that that's good. I like that. I like the fact they're not just picking out and saying, Oh, let's just get the same guy who did all the resident evil movies or all the, whatever big, big action movies and just piling them in. They're getting some creative guys to, to try some things and try some new things, which I think is, uh, is good. So, uh, so no, this, this, I, I was the one who said, you know, Shang-Chi, I think will be the, the harbinger of where Marvel goes. The fact is Shang-Chi is doing really well in the box office. It did really well critically with, uh, critics with us and uh, people seem to really like it. So that's a good sign. That's a means I think, you know, even if Eternals is really out in left field and just does not connect with the audience, I don't think Marvel is going to all of a sudden drop off the cliff performance wise. <laughs> sure. I think there's enough energy going in that people, I kind of feel like people are going to say, oh, let's go check out the Eternals. I'm curious about it. Okay. Maybe that wasn't my cup of tea, but that's okay. Cause the next Spider-Man movie is coming out in another month <laughs> or whatever. So, and that's sure. fine. Um, so Shang-Chi is continuing the trend and I think it was a good entry. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I'm, I'm curious to see how Eternals does. Uh, I think it'll, I know it will look great because it'll look great. Chloe Zhao And I think it'll be interesting just right. uh, how, how Marvel is it going to be, you know, is it gonna be really the big question True. Uh, for better or for worse? I don't know. All right. Well, that is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings playing in theaters only right now uh, available for you to go out and see if you choose to. Unfortunately, not really a way to see it online yet, but I do think it's going to be a little more fast tracked to go to like a uh, online service a little sooner than than you might have seen in the past. But as of right now, it is just theaters only. Um, Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our second review, which is the film nine days you are being considered for the amazing opportunity 
of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. Are you the boss? I would say a cog in the wheel. <laughs> in the film Nine Days, director and writer Edson Oda tells the story of a reclusive man who spends his days watching screens that are basically the lives of other people. And then also has to, when one of them uh, is no longer with us, and a very uh, surprising action that surprised even this man, then he has to conduct a series of interviews with new people that are basically going to fill that slot as a human soul to be born. Very high concept film, and that little description doesn't really tell you a whole lot more about the film, but that is the general premise and where we have Winston Duke starring as this man. Uh, Will is all we know him as. Uh, also starring Zazie Beats, who comes in as Emma, one of the people being interviewed for the chance to take on uh, the role of a human soul to be born. We also have uh, Benedict Wong returning. So uh, he's our twofer on the episode today, <laughs> both in Shang-Chi as... Uh, um, he's Wong. In Wong, there. Wong, right. Yeah. I just was forgetting the yeah. name. And then here he's in this film as well. Yeah as kind of a friend, colleague of Will uh, Koyo, uh, also starring Tony Hale, Bill Skarsgård, and several others, as those various people being interviewed for their position to, to be a human being, to be born as a newborn on Earth. So, Chris, with a high-concept film like this, um, it, it's safe to say you could go into this film, it's 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 not always going to be everybody's cup of tea. Sure. It does take a little processing and a little digesting to kind of see if you're on board with this film or not. And obviously there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of ways you can read different interpretations of what's happening with the film. All that's fine and well. Let me just ask you the question. Did this film work for you at all? Yeah, it did. The film did work for me. I was leery going in. Um, that it was just going to be a lot of talking <laughs> and there, there is a fair amount of talking. There's not action scenes as you would expect, you know, in other different types of films, it's a lot of talking and it's a thinking person's movie. It is deliberately paced. It's, you know, run times a little bit over two hours, but the acting, all the acting across the board, the actors, all the actors you mentioned, you know, I thought were doing, doing great and were really engrossed in their performances the thing that helps the film, even though this is director Edson Oda's first feature-length film, and he both wrote and directed it, it's amazing what he did in this first film because there are a lot of them are conversations, but the way he stages them, the cinematography that you know his cinematographer used, just things are always visually interesting. Even if people are talking, the way he shoots them talking, or the different scenes inside this house, or um, the house is, I guess, on a beach or just out in the middle of kind of nowhere. It's kind of yeah. this like empty zone, kind mm -hmm. of like in a desert or something. We're not really sure where it is because it's technically in, in <laughs> negative heaven or where, who no, knows. That. But um, they do a good job just kind of giving you this emptiness, but somehow making the emptiness interesting. Hmm. Um, 
so I really, I really liked it. I was, and like I said, I was kind of surprised and kind of leery because I knew the running time going in and knowing it was just going to be a bunch of people talking. <laughs> um, Winston Duke specifically, mm-hmm. um, I was only familiar with him from his role in Us, where he plays the father. And he was good in this, but I was worried because he was so, for most of the running time of the film, he's so tamped down and contained and doesn't reveal a lot. And that's his character because his character, Will, is very withdrawn. That I was, you know, at the end of the film, I was like, well, if we don't get anything more than him, that was his assignment was play this guy who's emotionally you know, damaged somehow. We don't really know how, but he's not going to show us why. He's just going to be very contained. But man, he gets a monologue towards the end of the film and it was just like, okay, yes. And he really, mm-hmm. he that was his Oscar moment. So it was really, I was really glad to see that we got to see him open up. I mean, so. you don't remember him as Mabaku in the Avengers movie? Uh, the no. Black Panther? No. <laughs> no, really? No. Yeah, in Black Panther, he's like the the leader of the, one of the other uh, other tribes, other other groups. Okay. And he's in the Avengers big in-game movies as well. So, okay. Yeah. No, I, I no. I know him from us. Okay. <laughs> I've seen I've seen both of those movies, but I guess yeah. yeah. The roll call of characters blends washes over him. Mm-hmm. So well that's interesting. Are you done? Uh I can go on about some other positive points, but I, I was just what what are your thoughts? I love this film. Okay. I saw it twice. Okay. Loved it more the second time than the first time. Uh, it's probably my favorite film I've seen this year. Wow. Um, so right now it's like top, your number one film. Pro- well, at least in the top three. I, it, it's going to okay. bounce around. I'll have to really sit down and d- evaluate a little, little bit later here in the year. But yes, okay. it's in the running for sure. Um, I just I enjoyed every moment of this. Um, I, Winston Duke, you mentioned as well. Yes, I I, I was feeling like it was going to be a one-note performance for most of the film. But he actually has two moments. One is honestly the monologue you mentioned at the end. That's okay. absolutely not going to spoil it, but it's it's great. Um, but there's another moment where he kind of has a little bit of a breakdown at just realizing that he felt like he failed this mm-hmm. one individual that 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 had passed away. And he's confiding in Koyo. And it was just you started to see the crack show. And he did sure. a great job of still trying to hold the facade, but yet cracking just enough to let Koyo know, yeah, this is really affecting me. And I'm really, really upset about this. Uh, just that's a great performance. So I, I think the fact that we get so used to a character and then when he shows us the cracks, we believe it. And we believe that he is truly trying to hold it together, but still he's having a real emotional breakdown. And uh, it was just great. It was a very nuanced performance, I thought. Overall, all the performances I loved. Uh, I, I can't really think of one that did not work for me in this film. A um, couple of call-outs. Dale Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. plays one of the people being interviewed for this position as a, as a human soul as Kane. And, um, you know, his, his, his role is defined as, well, each of these souls that you meet, which I think is just a great premise in general, interviewing people to become a human being, to be born, to be born, each soul he, he meets, we get to meet is somewhat defined by one particular type of characteristic. They're not a one note characters, but you can right. see that they're driven by one type of it, we we get to see what all different walks of life people are made up of. So you have the Kane character played by Bill Skarsgård, who's driven by pessimism, 
and more kind of an underlying anger towards things that are not good in the world and seeing the- the, Driven to set things right. Right, and feel like there's got to be more of a sense of justice and revenge and feel like you've got to stand up and and take control of things to make things right. And then you meet these other characters, you know, Tony Hale plays Alexander. It's just (laughs) like, I don't want any drama. I don't want anything to have to think about hard. I just want to be, and I just want to relax and I don't want to, you know- so again, we see almost like the it's almost like these um, caricatures of sure. souls, but they're not so extreme that we don't think they're real. I mean, we feel like all oh, these are real people. Just in getting to see them in this interview style format, one after another, you start to realize, oh wow, this guy definitely has some issues with not being strong and not being uh, caring enough. You see, this person is maybe too much caring and too much emotion that they carry. And it was really interesting, just the whole format. I, I, I love the concept so much that even if the film had some moments that didn't exactly work for me every moment of the time, the concept alone, the overall arching story behind it kept me engaged all the way through and uh, paid off for me at the end. So, yeah. yeah, I think a high concept is one thing, but a high concept, even for a first-time writer-director, that is so thoroughly thought out. I mean, the fact that the some of the visuals, it's this 80s technology with VCR tapes and VCRs and big boxy TVs, not flat screens. Mm-hmm. And somehow it just shows you kind of how well thought out everything was. Like tiny details were really specifically planned. Even in the editing of the film, you know, he Winston Duke's character, Will, goes through these like interview processes with each one of the people trying to make it all the way to the end of these nine days. And the way they edit it is such that it doesn't get, it is repetitive, but it's repetitive in an artistic way mm-hmm. and it never gets boring. Oh, no. And I, I appreciate that because, you know, it could very well be, okay, let's do the interview for this person. Yeah. You go all the way through that seven minutes and you do another seven minute interview. And they really seemingly kept us on our feet by trying to, you know, yeah. mix that up. And I, I, I appreciated that. So. I, I have, you know, since seeing the film, I've read some other thoughts on the film that people have shared. And I, I, I see that out in the community. I mean, there's people who really high, hold it in high regard. And there's some people who kind of label it as more, a, a little more on the pretentious side and just mm-hmm. didn't really have as much to say, but was trying to feel like it had something important to say. Huh. I can understand that argument. A little bit, because you know, if I if I wanted to go into this film trying to find a really profound message, I don't know if it really gives you that true message that some people may be looking for at the end of the film. I'm more enthralled by the journey. I'm more enthralled by the overall concept and story. And even if it doesn't leave me with some aspirational message or 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 or, or convey any kind of sentiment like that. I'm okay with it because, again, I enjoyed the entire exploration. I enjoyed all the characters. I wanted to spend more time with all of them. Sure. And I love the concept. So all that together makes it work. And plus, the director, like you already said, was really, really great in composing this film with you know even controlling some of the editing of it. So it all worked. I mean, I can understand people saying that they felt like it was just – artsy for art's sake. And I, I don't feel like it was that at all. Maybe, you know, what's the message of the film? Eh, I don't know. I, I don't really, you know, I wasn't coming out of it trying to say what's the overall message. Sure. It was more of a just, I love this concept and I love the characters that they put in it. So. When I think it's it's all a factor, as all movies are, 
if something works for you. And this, mm-hmm. I, I will not deny, this is kind of a pretentious premise, sure. high concept, but it, but it worked it for worked me. It worked for me. Yeah, same here. I mean, yeah, you're talking about a pre-birth, you know, someone interviewing souls and deciding which soul gets to be born and take their place on earth. And right. you know, when someone leaves this earth, someone else has to kind of fill their place. I mean, yeah, there's some really big, big high concepts that, you know, somebody could absolutely come away with it and say, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's way too high, high minded and pretentious. And, but again, I, I think, and it could have been, you absolutely could have made this film as really <laughs> syrupy and just oh, yeah. over the top pretentious. Sure. And they didn't. I mean, I felt like this was a very grounded film. Um, and it, it, there's still some question marks for me in some parts, and that's good. I like coming away with it, not knowing exactly how everything worked. Well, um, and the more I think about it, the more I like it. The more I talk about it with others that have seen it, the more I appreciate that even more. So, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, I would say that it probably wasn't in my top 10 for the year, but after the end now, oh, I think it just, it's creeping up there. I know. Here, so. I just, the more I think about it, do you have the any more negatives? Um, do I have any negatives? I don't, I don't think so. If they were, they would be something like, um, maybe some questions or something that I had, yeah, things weren't clear, but I think, I kind of like living in the ambiguity because I don't think it's an ambiguity that comes about because of lazy writing or lazy um, production of the film. I think it's well-intended. It's a, it's a supposed to be a thought provoking film. I feel like, and it it did that. And it is a parable, I think in a way it's, it's a, it's like a fairy tale. It's like a parable. It's a, it's everything is meant to represent other things. And so there's, you know, you kind of give it some leeway with that because I mean, it's, if you sit there and try to think through the mechanics and how exactly this works and why it would, that's not the point of the film. No. The point of the film is let's talk about the grander scope of how we as human beings choose to exist on this or earth. And, and I don't know. I, and now I'm sounding very pretentious. So <laughs> that's not the point. Well, I, uh, I, overall it was a great film. So I want to call out one last thing yeah. before we close out, because it was um, some of my favorite parts of the film. Um, unfortunately, as you kind of indicate, you know, there are a certain number of souls that are being interviewed and they don't all make it because only one person or one soul can make it all the way to the end. Um, when their time has come and they're told, hey, you know, sorry, you're not going to make it. They basically are then going to go into oblivion. OK, but before that happens, Will Duke's character or Will, played by Winston Duke, he gives them, I forget what, the, something like he gives them a moment or yeah. an experience moment. Yeah. I can't remember what the They've term is in the film. They've been watching these screens of other living people from right. their point of view. And that's been their experiences. And he lets them say, hey, uh, on your way out, pick one moment that really meant something for you. And I will do my best to recreate it. Yeah. And that that's, and so he creates things like, uh, recreates like a surf at the beach or a bike ride. And it's done in a very... Um, what is that dude's name? Eternal Sunshine. This Michelle Gondry. Yeah, it's done kind of in a very Michelle Gondry type way, and it's just really creative. It works cinematically. Um, the imagery is just awesome. And yeah. so those those were two some some of my favorite moments of the film. The rest of the film's good, but then that kind of wakes you up and you kind of enjoy. And the fact of seeing we got to see it on the big screen and yeah. seeing those moments done on a big screen, it's just some cinema well, magic. It's another moment. Those moments, I, you're right. Those are my favorite of the film as well. And also, it's it's a moment where Winston Duke, without any words, 
you see him, even though we've known him as this very kind of straight, uh, uptight character with a lot of resentment, a lot of pent up emotions, he gets to let a little bit out and just enough to show that caring side. And, and it really worked for those moments. So I, I, I'm with you. Those are my favorite moments in the film. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is nine days. Sounds like we're both very positive on it and highly regarded and highly recommended from us. Uh, I don't know where you can see it right now. That's a little bit of a question. It's been playing at some independent uh, art house cinemas. Um, I would imagine it's going to be available online fairly soon, just because I don't think it got it did not definitely not get a wide release at all. So it's it just not going to have a very long theatrical run, unfortunately. But that does mean the good side is it means it's going to be online a little sooner and we get a chance to catch up with it again. So looking forward to that. All right. That is nine days directed and written by Edson Oda starring Winston Duke and Zazie Beats. All right, Chris, let's take a quick little break because we've got some movie news to cover and we've got our recommendations of the episode to share as well. So we're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we'll do those things. Stay tuned. Uh, you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Before we get into our news items where we talk about some interesting upcoming projects or announcements about up new films, let's uh, remind everybody about the Foot Candle Film Festival coming up here September 22nd through the 26th. Yes, you heard that right. That's like within days. Uh, <laughs> we are going to be showing over 35 films over the course of a five-day period, along with a couple of other special events throughout the weekend. Uh, films will be shown here in beautiful downtown Hickory at our Hickory Community Theater. But we're also putting all of the uh, competition films online for you to view virtually with our online cinema the day after we show them uh, in person. So we are expecting a nice kind of hybrid audience on this. And, you know, unfortunately, the Pandemic numbers are still not to the point where you know we're expecting a lot of people in person, but that means that we'll have a lot of space within our theater and everybody can space out and have their room. But we also add that comfort of watching the films online as well. So, Chris, anything more we need to tell people about the festival? I will, uh, I will say um, something else to consider is whether you watch it online or do come in person. Uh, one of the, you know, it is a downside that we don't have a lot of filmmakers able to travel here for the festival. We do have some, but the ones that haven't been able to make it for the feature films, we've been able to contact them and do Q and A's. So we'll screen those directly after the film rolls in the theater. And then if you watch it online, it'll roll right into that Q and A afterwards. So you're not going to get to meet some of these directors face to face, but you'll get to, you know, hear them talk about what inspired them to do the film. So that that is kind of a silver lining if we're trying to find out something we can say about a silver lining about some of the pandemic mess we've been living through. But that is a kind of a highlight. Some will be in person, but the ones that aren't, we've been able to get Q and A's with. So that's that's something that'll be pretty yeah. cool and add that festival atmosphere. So we're starting off the festival Wednesday night with the uh, free outdoor screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, that'll be at the Salt Block, if you're familiar with Hickory at all. It's a nice big lawn area. We'll be showing that film for free, so and no ticket required. 
Then the following night, we have our screenwriters competition in partnership with the Lenore Ryan University Visiting Writers Series. We'll be uh, announcing and hearing from two winners of our screenwriting competition that's been going on the last several months. Then we roll into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, films all day, all three days, feature-length films, and then blocks of short films all throughout the weekend. Uh, wrapping up with our awards event and a premiere of a new short film that was filmed right here in Hickory uh, on Sunday evening at uh, 7 o'clock. So it should be a really fun, fun weekend. We're really looking forward to it. And I uh, hope you'll come join us. Footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you can still go to get information, schedule, and if you want to buy online tickets, you can, or even just come in person. Um, there will be space. So. I think I'll know this, but I'll just give a little heads up. Um, of course, anybody can come in person. If you do go online, it is limited to North Carolina only. Oh, so unfortunately, point. you know, we, you can't watch it anywhere in North Carolina, but it is geolocated. So you can just screen things online if yeah, you're in North Carolina. Very good point. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. But yeah, it's important just to keep everything under control and make sure the films kind of get their, their limited viewing here in the area. So, right. Okay, that's the Foot Candle Film Festival. Hope to see you uh, online or in person uh, uh, later this month. All right, Chris, let's talk about a couple of news items, a couple of uh, movie projects that we're following or maybe have some interest in. Uh, I think uh, you were going to start us off. Yes. What do you I got was. for us today? So, Alan, uh, did you catch the 2018 reboot of the Predator franchise simply called The Predator? I did not. Is well, that the Shane Black one? It is. Yeah. You mm-hmm. and lots of other people yeah. also did not catch it. And those that did weren't that high on it. There was also a film before that one called Predators. I believe so. Yes. Didn't see that one either. No, <laughs> no um, I, I, yeah. Other than seeing, I saw the first two Predator films, yeah, I did and too. then I've kind of you know fallen off the boat okay. with those. Well, that did not discourage Hollywood from saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna give mm. it another try. All right. Oddly enough, this film supposedly has already wrapped filming. So it is already done. Okay. Um, it is going to be called Skulls. What? Yep. The uh, film's going to be called Skulls. And the director is Dan Trachtenberg of Tin Cloverfield oh, Lane. Right. Yes, I did hear about this. So it is done. Um, he and the cast, now that it, the you know, filming's wrapped, he's announced some of the cast. I am not familiar with any of these people, but maybe you are. I'll read yeah, their names. Sure. Amber Mid-Thunder, which is an awesome name. Amber Mid-Thunder of yeah. Legion, the show Legion. Not familiar with her. Um, Dakota Beavers, Dane DeLaguerre, um, which I guess maybe that is somebody who has played one of the um, Predators in the past because they kind of indicate in the article I was reading that he will be – they assume he will be playing one of the extraterrestrial you know, hunters, so um, known as Predators. So it's interesting. They said that Amber Mid-Thunder is apparently playing the primary protagonist. But beyond that, the only thing that's really been revealed, even though the film's done, um, the only thing that's been revealed about it is that it looks to be that this will actually take place during the first time the Predators visit Earth. Mm -hmm. Okay? So if that's the case, this will actually be pre-Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that one film supposedly, I mean, it was released in 1987 in theory took place in the late eighties. This would mean maybe it's going back to like late seventies or so right. interesting that they're doing that. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, Dan Trachtenberg who, um, did 10 Cloverfield Lane. He's done some black mirror episodes. Uh, he, I kind of 
think he's able to handle this in a really unique way, hopefully. Hope so. So I'm curious. And just the mid-fact that the, t- the title is just Skulls, I think is really unique. Which, if you think about it, the fr- Predator franchise, that's one of these things these hunters do is they keep – they have like yeah. a museum of skulls that they all kind of hold up. So I don't know. I, I am definitely curious. Having seen the 2018 film that was just just not good um, – I'm interested to see if he can try to resurrect this franchise at all. I sure. I mean, I I, <laughs> sure. I, I do. I liked Tim Cloverfield Lane a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, you know, just I know used to watch. Uh, he was a co-host on a uh, online video show uh, that talked about films and video games and others many years ago. Sure. So it's someone I feel like you know, we've we've known or kind of had con or, or at least seen contextually for so long that it's really, you know, you would kind of want to see him succeed with a film like this. Uh, it's a, it's a, I like the fact that there's a lot of uh, lesser known actors. Mm-hmm. So that you're not really banking on this being a big star vehicle for sure. anybody. This is truly, hopefully is going to be a good story and, and uh, put the budget behind the production and not, you know, into the bunch of uh, movie stars. Well, so. I'm kind of really curious too, because he did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I think was well received, mm-hmm. and this is—it's been a while. I mean, oh, yeah. he's done some other things, like I was mentioning Black Mirror episodes of Black Mirror, but it's been. And I think also that show that you like, um, the superhero show, can, the Good the Boys, the Boys. Yeah, he's done. He did a little bit of that or two of that, I think. So, but it's been a while between feature films, so it gives me a little hope that he's not just running into something like, oh, yeah. okay, let's do this. It's like. You know, he's got well, he's, some ideas. He's got a love for the franchise, or at least a love for the the, the IP. So right. that's going to help, I think, if anything else. You want somebody to be helming a project like this that really has a passion and love for the source material. I believe he does. I think he, you know, he's a child of the 80s. He's kind of our age. <laughs> sure. Kind of grew up on this stuff. Hopefully that's going to resonate well with it. So we'll see. I mean, I'm curious, but... You know, I, I was also curious when I heard Shane Black was doing a Predator I, film. As and then, was I. And then yeah. I heard the initial feedback on it was really, really bad. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, that didn't work out. So right. um, interesting. So, okay, it's, it's interesting, Chris, that you kind of got us on the, the prequel path because that's okay. also where my story, my news item is going as well. Backstory on a Garfield. Garfield the cat. Uh, it, close. Oh, um, okay. Well, not that close, but uh, – <laughs> I don't know if we even talked about that this film was even a potential Hmm. because it really kind of came out of nowhere for me. But the more I'm thinking about it, maybe we did mention this as being something that was being considered a while back. But um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, which, you know, has also spawned Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was the Tim Burton version uh, based on the more, a little more strictly based on the source material from the, um, the original book, the Royal Doll book. Sure. Obviously, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder version is the one that everybody knows a lot more and is a lot more beloved. Sure. So, do we need a prequel about Willy Wonka? Hmm. I mean, probably not, but, yeah. you know, I, it's some of those things and a lot of people don't. It, it falls into that camp of love it, hate it, kind of like Cruella came out. I liked Cruella, um, you know, Maleficent. I mean, those are villains, but it's type, it's type that whole type thing. You take something that's well-established. If the writing's really good and they come up with some clever backstory, mm-hmm. 
I can be all about it. So yeah. a lot of it depends on who the writer, director, who's going to play Willy Wonka. I mean, well, yeah. the director um, and writers um, are the ones responsible for the Paddington films. Oh, okay. Paddington and Paddington Two. So the writer Simon Farnaby and the director Paul King. Okay, they did uh, both the two Paddington movies. Um, Which I've seen both. Have you seen mm-hmm. them? I have. Yeah. First, good. Second. Great. Yeah, they're good. They're fun, nice movies. Yeah. I liked them a lot. Um, and the movie's been in development since 2016. Oh, wow. Uh, Warner Brothers has got the rights to the Willy Wonka character. So hmm. uh, in 2018, they cast the director and got the script worked on. Okay. Um, the reason this has made some news right now is, uh, well, they, they've already announced who's going to be playing Willy Wonka. Okay. And I take it you don't know this. I don't think I do. Okay. Oh, I forgot. Um, well, that's not even the news item. The news items that they added, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Keenan Michael Key, Keegan Michael Key to the film okay. in an unknown role. Okay. Okay. But Willy Wonka is going to be played by Timothy Chalamet. Oh, you know, maybe I had heard that. It's all kind of coming back to me a little bit when okay. I start to think about it. But yeah, that's. I think maybe we heard about it before Chalamet was kind of on this big upswing he's been the last sure. year or two sure. um, with Dune coming out with the French dispatch coming out with uh, what's some other Chalamet joints I'm forgetting right now. So uh, <laughs> he's got, he was in Lady Bird a little bit. Lady, but that was a while ago. Yeah. But that was yeah. still kind of when he was like yeah. starting to hit the stride. Yeah. Lady Bird and call me by your name are both like yeah. his introductory type films. So he's got some big movies coming out in the next few months here. And I'm sure that's, that's driving interest in him. So maybe it was something we heard about it you know, a couple a year or two ago. Didn't really think much about it. But now he's obviously getting to be a bigger name and it's kind sure. of working out. So, Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka before he, the whole chocolate factory situation. <laughs> right. And the movie right now is just being called Wonka. Okay. That's the understanding is I, yes, I it's don't, going to be Wonka. See, the thing is, this could be, I mean, you know, who knows, but this could be the role that really makes me impressed. With, I don't, I think Chalamet's fine. I don't really feel one way or the other about him as an actor. Oh, he was also, was he in Little Women? Um, yeah, yeah. He okay, was. yeah, he was. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. He was a. So he was. He and he was good in that. Uh, but like, I just don't really have one thing or the other about how he's acting or something. Yeah. But in Wonka, because I don't foresee him being like this whimsical figure, kind of like you know a Gene Wilder, because that's who I think of Gene Wilder. So he could really like wow me with this role. If if you know, so I'm I'm I am curious. Yeah. Okay. Well, that. Curiosity is good. We'll see if it pays <laughs> off. Uh, I don't. It's a. Do they have a release date on it? Probably twenty twenty two. I'm assuming. Yeah, they don't have a really release. Gotcha. Oh no, I'm sorry. Twenty twenty three. Oh, okay. March twenty twenty three. So it's gotcha. really has even started production yet. So it's got right. a way. It's got a ways to go. Okay. Something to keep our eye on for sure. sure. All sure. right. So a couple of interesting prequel projects: Predator and Willy Wonka, two franchises that well, be interesting to see if uh, prequels pay off or not. Okay, Chris, that wraps up our news section. That's all we wanted to cover on some news today. And let's move to recommendations because I'm just super excited to talk about my recommendation. <laughs> okay. This is where Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film that we recently caught up with or had a chance to see or revisit and we think is worth recommending to you, our faithful and beloved audience that have made it to the end of this episode. <laughs> uh, the, the reward is our recommendations for the week. So, Chris... 
Yes. Why don't you start first and tell us uh, what recommendation you have right now? So I'm going to recommend a film that probably would have been released more in theaters, but you know, good old pandemic happened. It was a, it's a 2020 film. Um, it made the festival circuit, but then, like I said, it didn't really get a wide release. You can catch it now on Amazon, I believe, or um, Netflix also has it. Um, it's called The Paper Tigers, and it's by director Kwok Bao Tran. And it is, this is kind of tying in with Shang-Chi a little bit, uh, three kung fu prodigies have now grown up into like middle-aged, washed-up men. And uh, only one still kind of does karate, but their master who taught them their, you know, sensei taught them their karate is murdered. And now they must juggle their dead end jobs, their duties as deadbeat dads and old grudges with different people to come back together and avenge his death. Hmm. So it's kind of like a washed up has been, I have not watched the Cobra Kai series. I don't know like what that's doing, but Mm -hmm. this is kind of like, if you can imagine, you know, yeah, getting three deadbeats who all come together and like try to, you know, and it, it it's it's funny. It does have a lot of humor in it, but it does also have a good bit of like you know hand to hand kung fu fighting. Um, it is a low budget indie film, so the fact that they were able to pull off what they pull off, I thought was pretty cool. Um, something that I was not, and the the leads, all of the leads in the film um, are good. Mm-hmm. But what surprised me is there's an actor who's kind of like a a that guy in this film. His name is Matthew Page. And he is not one of the three leads, but he plays kind of one of their uh, rivals, let's say. And he is such a scene stealer mm-hmm. in the film. Um, he was just, you know, he plays like the arrogant, you know, rival or whatever. So um, I guess he would be a member of like Cobra Kai if he was in the Karate Kid movies. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. It is kind of more tends towards more of the heartwarming mm-hmm. family type thing. Um, but. I enjoyed it, had karate, and it made me, when I was watching Shang-Chi, it made me uh, think a little bit of this film, The Paper Tigers. So, uh, the Paper Tigers. The Paper Tigers. It's on Netflix, and I think it's actually also available on Hoopla, which is a free library service. If your library participates in it, that you can rent movies online. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's The Paper Tigers. Okay. Great. That was nice. That's a good, good recommendation. All right. So now we're going to go to mine. Okay. Uh, um, I am not a big horror film fan uh especially horror that is more uh violent or gory or slasher stuff it's not my thing okay i I typically need my horror films to be a little bit more go a little more psychological go a little more uh, artsy or something for me to get involved with it sure however um a new (laughs) film was released by director james wan uh, Aquaman on, dude. Yeah. So he's the one who did Aquaman, but he got his start doing, he did Saul, the original Saul movie, the original, it kind of set the trend for the whole body horror, torture, porn films. And uh, James Wan has directed a new film. Uh, he's gone back to his horror roots with a film called Malignant. Now, I saw the poster. Don't even think I ever saw the trailer for this thing. <laughs> I just heard on Twitter. And thank you, Twitter, for turning me on. It got me interested in the film. Why did it get me interested? Because everything I saw people posting about this film is that it's uh, bonkers. That's that's the word I heard. It was uh, it's a unique film. It takes you to a place that you may not expect, and uh, it just gets kind of nuts. 
And so that's enough to say, all right, Alan, maybe I should check this out. <laughs> it's on HBO Max. I basically am getting it for free for my sure, subscription. Sure. Why not? This sounds like a good, uh, good opportunity. So I did watch this film. Uh, Malignant is all about uh, our lead character, Madison, is constantly being paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders. And her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are, in fact, realities. Now, that in itself sounds pretty, pretty generic. You know, someone who's seeing murders happen around them and real, finds out they're real, but somehow they're able to see them. Okay. Uh, not anything too interesting or exciting yet. Um, I am here to say that, yes, the <laughs> film does take some interesting choices. Absolutely. In the last... 30 so minutes of the film um, to the point, Chris, where I, I could not decide with this film, how much I wanted to laugh or I, I never rolled my eyes. That's the interesting thing. I never rolled my eyes. I did laugh. And there was one moment in particular, I think when the big reveal happens, I did find myself laughing and it's more of a laugh of, Oh wow. I can't believe this is where they're going with this. I see. I, this is a rare occasion where, you know, I actually knew what film you were going to, you know, because mm -hmm. you and I talked off air. Um, and I had heard some of the same things about this film. So I actually watched it as well. And yeah, it's, you, you have to give this film the fact that it is a unique horror movie. <laughs> they had their ideas and they went for it. And uh, yeah, sometimes you find yourself laughing at some of the ridiculousness yeah. of it all. Because well, it's, it's I, ridiculous. I think they kind of know that. I because there's they do too. some of the performances and some of the ways it's set up in the beginning. It's kind of winking, paying homage, but also winking to things. And yeah, it, it is definitely uh, <laughs> like 60 or 70 minutes in. Yeah, it definitely goes bonkers. Because um, yeah, I've been about 60 or 70 minutes in. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of saying, I mean, this is kind of a run of the mill horror movie. I'm not really. I guess it's okay, but I'm not really finding anything unique or, or different about it or, or interesting about it until they start to roll out exactly what's going on. And um, I will say it's, you know, just so everybody's aware, is very violent. Oh, yes. Very gory. Yes. There is a lot of elements of body horror in yes. the film. Yes. So just FYI, be warned, it's not my normal uh, type of recommendation, but... If you're just looking for something that is just going for the fences and just says, you know what, let's just really go nuts with this film and let's just take this premise as ridiculous as it is. And it is absolutely ridiculous, but it does have fun with it. And uh, so, you know. you know what it reminded me of? Yeah. Um, and this is kind of an odd thing, <laughs> but it reminded me as if James Wan decided to make an R rated scooby-doo mystery without scooby-doo because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> there is no talking dog um but kind of like how people encounter this thing and there's like a bad guy and they're trying to get clues and then it all and the, you know a lot of scooby-doo monster and then you're like wait how did this theoretically mm -hmm. work <laughs> and then kind of like the reveal and everything you're like oh okay that's who the big bad guy is but still, the ride was so much fun. Yeah. So to me, it was like an R-rated Scooby-Doo mystery. Because <laughs> you were trying to figure out how these pieces fit together. Oh, I, I had a lot of questions about how the pieces fit together <laughs> sure. towards the end. But you know sure. I, I think I realized that once, once the, the ending was coming to, into fruition, it's like, all right, look, I, I can't sit here and medically, scientifically, <laughs> or anything try to figure oh, out no. how this would ever work. But no. let's, just, let's just roll with it right. and have fun. Um, 
So it is not the type of movie I would normally expect to recommend, but I'm going to say, look, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a fun time if you can stomach it. Sure. And if you just want something that just goes bonkers and it's the kind of movie that, you know, if I go and t- try to describe to somebody afterwards, who's not going to see it, they just say, tell me that the plot is film. <laughs> it's like, okay, we'll just, you need to sit down because this is going to get a little nuts by the end. And it does. So, uh, that is Malignant. Uh, James Wan, uh, Annabella Wallace stars in it. Um, acting's not great, but I think that's also kind of intentional. I mean, yeah. Um, you have a you have a, the lead detective played by George Young is Kyoko Shaw, and they make a real point to always have to say his first name Kyoko, <laughs> like constantly through the right, film. Yeah. He's this like super sharp, good looking guy, right. and just you know, it's just it's just. And then of course his partner has to be this very brash woman who's always like negative on everything it's just everything is so to the type why did they not cast wanda sykes in that role oh it was like perfectly made for her i know maybe because they couldn't pay her but but. there is a moment when you have the main character madison talking with her uh sister sydney making a revelation about their family history and honestly i honestly think that when this line is delivered and the the sister reacts I almost feel like I heard like some really cheesy dramatic music play, like dun 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 type of thing. And it's just, but again, I think they're playing with that. It's like sure. I think they're just having fun with how kind of over dramatic they can make this and how ridiculous they can make the premise be in the end. So anyway, sure. malignant. I'm gonna say, yeah, give it a give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. Let us know what you think. And again, just be prepared. It's it's a pretty rough one. It's a rough one to watch for sure. Absolutely. Okay, Chris. Well, that is our show for today. So we have talked about uh, your recommendation, The Paper Tigers. Talked about Malignant, both of those online that you can watch, one on Netflix, one on HBO Max. Uh, Then we had our reviews early on of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, which we both are giving a positive review to. Uh, You know, mine's maybe positive, a little slight disappointment just with some of the uh, familiarity that they seem to be rolling into these films, but overall, I still enjoyed it. You seem to actually have maybe a little higher opinion than I yeah, do. Yeah, I think it, so. Which is, but we're both positive. Then nine days, we were both extremely positive on. I'm going out and saying it's one of my favorite of the year. Uh, you're creeping in that territory. Yes. Um, then we had our news items, prequels for both uh, Wonka, the Willy Wonka saga. And the Predator uh, sequel known as Skulls. Skulls. (laughs) Interesting. So that's our show wrapping up. Chris, if anybody has any thoughts, questions, feedback for us, how can they contact us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are also individually on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing. And sometimes we leave short little reviews. As we have mentioned earlier in the episode, the Foot Candle Film Festival, September 22nd through the 26th, is just around the corner. Information, more information about the festival can be found at footcandlefilmfestival.com. All right. If, if mm-hmm. oh, one little thing, sure, uh, all of our listeners, we thank you for listening. Consider giving us a star rating or write a review. Uh, share with other people to spread the word. Um, in iTunes, we're there. We're also in iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. We appreciate you listening. Spread the word. All right. That is going to wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will look forward to talking to everybody next time. Take care. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.